Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope, Andy Anders joining you on what uh, can certainly be called a defining week for the Ohio State football team as Ohio State prepares to play Penn State in a game that is going to have massive ramifications on Ohio State's Big Ten title hopes. If the Buckeyes want to make the Big Ten championship game this year, it's very important that they win this game this weekend against Penn State, making this, certainly in my eyes, the biggest game of the year to date for Ohio State. No, I'd agree with you, Dan. The uh, the Notre Dame game, obviously, big top 10 road matchup. A lot of high stakes, high attention in that one, but it didn't carry the direct setbacks that a loss to Penn State would carry in terms of Ohio State controlling its own destiny to reach all of its goals, right? If, if they lose to Penn State, they're going to have to hope that, that Penn State loses probably to Michigan and then beat Michigan and then go into the wonderful world of Big Ten tiebreakers, uh, which is uh, a nice, confusing process when multiple teams are tied. But I think that this uh, the, the more, much more simple solution to all of that is to win Saturday and continue controlling your own destiny for both the Big Ten championship game and by proxy the college football playoff. Yeah, we talked about it before the Notre Dame game, but that was an important game. But like I think, let's say if Ohio State, you know, if Chip Tran doesn't get that touchdown, Ohio State loses that game. We, we still would have been talking about a, a very realistic path for Ohio State to still achieve all of its goals. With, with this game, if you lose this game, you, know, you, you do not control your destiny in, in the Big Ten. And really, to be more specific, I, I think if Ohio State loses this game, it's quite unlikely that Ohio State will make the Big Ten championship game because those tiebreakers you mentioned, if you think of that, because basically, Penn State wins. If Penn State wins this game, then Ohio State basically would need Penn State to lose twice. The only team that Penn State plays that's really a should be a real threat to beat Penn State is Michigan. And in that hypothetical freeway tie scenario where all of them win once and lose once against each other, that favors Penn State because Penn State is most likely going to have the best strength of record among non-divisional opponents. Basically, it's if, if those three all tie with the same record, then you would take the three non-Big Ten East teams in the conference that each of those three teams played, and then you'd add up their records, and whoever has the best record among them, that team would go to the Big Ten Championship game. That would most likely be Penn State. I'm sure Ohio State would love to change that tiebreaker policy right now so that non-conference games carried more weight, because Ohio State without a doubt of those three teams, has the best non-conference win coming against Notre Dame. And that's something that could help Ohio State if it ends up in a college football playoff debate down the line. But in terms of a Big Ten championship game, Ohio State really needs to win this week to give itself a good chance of getting to Indy. For sure. I, I think that, uh, you know, it's funny because that's the fourth tiebreaker, right, between three teams, but the first three are all going to be equal with 
the, this scenario where you have Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State all beating each other to have the same conference record. The seventh tiebreaker is the first one that actually uh, makes use of anything related to non-conference games. That's just whoever has the best record. If you get that far down, the tiebreaker list goes, uh, which would be, a, again, in the scenario a tie. If you manage to get through all seven tiebreak, all se- those first seven tiebreakers, the winner of the division is selected by a random draw. So uh, a, a whole lot of little uh, funny notes and nuts when you get into those tiebreakers there. But like you said, um, with Penn State's West opponents, I, I think that they have the edge should there be a three-team tie uh, where each of them beat each, each other once. But but let's get into this Purdue game, Dan, because I really felt like uh, in some ways it was one of the more complete games for Ohio State this year. No spoiler makers this time. Ohio State handled business 41-7 to in West Lafayette. And, you know, just starting off with uh, why was it such a complete performance from Ohio State and why does this generate some momentum for the team entering this big game? Well, I think the number one thing is we saw the running game make progress because that, of course, was the big topic we talked about last week was how bad the running game was against Maryland and how Ohio State really needed to gain some momentum in that area. And I think it did. And I think you can't really look at the final stats because I think you know the second half, they were rolling a lot of guys in and out. There were some sacks. I, I don't think the the final stats, which only had Ohio State at 3.9 yards per carry. I don't think that reflected the actual improvement we saw from the Ohio State running game on Saturday at Purdue. Because I think in the first half, they were close to six yards per carry. When the game was on the line, Ohio State's running game was a lot better. And I think the most interesting part of that is that Ohio State did that without its top three running backs. Chip Trainum did start the game, but he suffered an injury in the first quarter, did not return to the game, which meant Dallin Hayden was running the ball for Ohio State for most of the game. And Andy, I know you've been a a pro-Dallin Hayden guy, and I think your pro-Dallin Hayden arguments got some evidence on Saturday with how well he played. Yeah, look, I think he's got a style that's unique to that running back room, just pure one cut guy he sees a hole he hits it very good at getting north south um finding the time to go north but once he does it's plant his foot and go and i think that kind of blends well with the spread running concepts a lot of them that ohio state does and uh you saw that pay dividends against purdue i also think his vision is one of if not the best in that in that running back room uh he just sees creases quickly and gets there i think there were a couple of runs that really stood out in that regard where the hole wasn't obvious but he was able to see it either a gap over or maybe backside and and find that lane to crease the defense, pick up a solid chunk or more uh, on some of those runs. And there's other times the hole was obvious. He had a really nice, uh, there was a counter play that Ohio State ran where you could have driven a truck through it. It was clear as day. But all that aside, I I think that he's, his skill set is one that warrants usage, whether or not we see that this year, still up in the air, you know, all, all, 
Who knows when all three running backs at the top of Ohio State's depth chart will come back healthy. Who knows how much the staff does want to preserve his red shirt, although, you know, I would I would guess that the odds of that staying a thing are less likely after this week, and they seem noncommittal one way or the other today uh, in press conferences or yesterday as you're hearing this. I am a big fan of Dallin, though, and I think he's, if it were up to me, I think he would be involved in the offense a little more, at least to see if he can produce similar numbers against some better defenses uh, than we saw on Saturday against Purdue. Um, yeah, I agree. So, I mean, I, I think I think that Dallin should continue to be involved, even if those guys are are healthy. I think, you know, I think all those guys are good running backs. I mean, I think, you know, Travion's still the most explosive guy in the room. I think Chip and mine are both good power backs who, who give you a lot with, you know, their, their combinations of size and speed and agility. But I think Dallin brings something different to that room. I think we've seen that going back to last year that he's a guy that can be a weapon for them in that backfield. And, you know, Ryan Day, you know, when he was first asked about that on Tuesday, you know, his, his answer was, you know, it started out with, we're, we're still going to do what we think is best to win every game. And I think that needs to be the number one calculation in terms of deciding what to do with Dallin going forward. You can't manage Dallin for this season based on what he could hypothetically do for you in 2026. I mean, you know, I, I, I saw another Ohio State media member post this, and I think it's true that if he's good enough to help you win games this year, then for one, you have championship aspirations this season. And so you, you can't not play a player who is good enough to help you win this year solely to preserve his eligibility for another year down the line. And secondly, if he's that good, there's a good chance he's not going to be there for his fifth year senior season anyway. We talked about it last week, and, I, and last week, I, I mean, I, so I'm changing my tune here because last week I said I agreed with the, the decision to redshirt him. And I think there was logic in that if, you know, the top three are going to be the guys or, I mean, again, like, I don't even know if I should call him the top three anymore. So I think you can make a case that Dallin is very much within that top three running back based on what we saw against Purdue. And I think there's, there's still something holding them back on Dallin. It seems to be related to pass pro that they don't think he's as good in pass protection as the other running backs. And that seems to be the biggest thing that's holding him back is every time he comes up, there's still always that caveat of he's really good with a ball in his hands, but you know, there's always kind of that butt with down to where there's still something that's holding them back from wanting him to play him as much as maybe outsiders think he should. But you know, you see the way that he ran the ball. You see the way that the running game responded to him being out there. And it, it certainly looks like he's a guy that can help them win games this season. And if that's the case, then you scrap the redshirt plan and you keep playing. I'm on team scrap the redshirt. Uh, like I said to me, I think he's someone you've got to get involved a little more and see what, again, he can do in these big games. And personally, you know, I, I have my own rankings of the running backs right now. Uh, Travion's still number one. Uh, and I think that he's got that top end of that explosion that no one else on the team, few, few players in the country have really. And he's 
still, when he's healthy, he has the ability to be consistent and to chunk defenses too when he needs. For the, who, who's the second best back on this team right now? I think you could make an argument for Dallin, and I know that might be saying that might be a stretch considering how much we've seen of him. You know, as compared to the other guys, it's just the one game this season, really. And, you know, obviously what he did at the end of last year uh, when the injuries piled up. But you've got a running back room right now that is going through a lot of health issues, right? Of course, Travion, you really hope he's going to be back this week after only being questionable last week. They say he expected him to play heading into that Purdue game that he doesn't you know did he aggravate something in practice we don't know but there's still the overall I think definitely feeling that you hope he plays against Penn State train him I, I doubt a little further um, with that concussion that's not something you often come back and just a week from you know when I was in high school minimum concussion protocol was eight days uh, it was literally impossible to get back in one week from a concussion college. It works a little different, but his looked a little more, um, a little more than mild, just by the fact he fell down on the field. I, so, if any one of those guys is out, I think it's worth it to test the waters more with Dallin, even in this game. I agree. I, I do want to clarify that you know, as we're sitting here, it has not been confirmed that Chip suffered a concussion. So I just want to, I want to, I want to that, clarify that's true. that that's because true. It, it did have the appearance of that, but that hasn't been confirmed. So I don't I don't want to make it look like we're confirming that Chip has a concussion because that that hasn't been confirmed. I mean really nothing about any of these guys who are injured right now has been confirmed between Travion, Chip, Mayan, Omeka, Buka, Denzel Burke. Uh, you know, it's clear uh Ryan Day, I think until Saturday had been more forthcoming about injury updates this year, but it seems like as of Saturday, especially now going into a really big game this week, but he's kind of tightening the screws back up on that again and doesn't really want to talk about injuries. And to that end, part of that is because all of a sudden Ohio State has a few really significant players who are injured where, you know, through the first for the first five games of a year, Ohio State had stayed pretty healthy. And now going into this pivotal game against uh, Penn State, you've got five, I'd say, important players who are injured and three of them happen to be at the running back position. Yeah, um, and not obviously not just running back that's hurt. You still got Ameka Buka out um, with his injury and uh, hope hope to see him back this week against Penn State if you can have him. Denzel Burke at corner. Um, and we're, we'll get into some of the guys, you know, that kind of factor into replacing them a little bit. But let's not move off the run game too quickly, Dan, because in addition to Dallin, we saw some really nice wrinkles from Ohio State on Saturday. The most, I guess, the biggest one that stands out in your mind is probably the Devin Brown sub package that we saw in red zone situations. Devin entered the game on the second series, finished off a touchdown drive with a third and short conversion. And then after that, a two yard touchdown run two plays later uh, gets back on the field. The next red zone trip fumbles as he's crossing the goal line after having made some more nice gains on the ground, but you know, probably learns from that mistake. And then later in the game, uh, shows off some of the arm talent with a 58-yard touchdown toss to Brandon Ennis. So what does that sub-package bring to Ohio State's offense? And I guess what does it say, too, that not just that, but some of the slot stuff we saw with Xavier's, maybe some new concepts on the ground. What does it say about this running game's 
creativity and what they're trying to do to open things up with the play calling. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly felt like there was an effort to be more creative with some of a play calling. Although I, I also thought it was interesting that when Ryan Day was talking about Dallin Hayden after the game, he mentioned that a lot of what we were doing is day one kind of stuff. And so it's not necessarily that they're like getting super complex. In some, in some cases, it was like they're running simple power stuff instead of the stuff they usually run, and it's working better. So I, I think they do need to look at Okay, what what did we do Saturday that worked that was different than what we've done in previous games, and now try to apply that going forward. Now it's going to be more difficult against Penn State than it's going to be against Purdue. I mean, Penn State's rushing defense is one of the best in the country right now, and so uh, it's certainly uh, you know there's certainly going to be things that uh, are going to be different for playing Penn State than against Purdue. But it also makes me wonder sometimes it's like. Sometimes they get maybe a little bit stuck in their ways of certain things. And then like all of a sudden guys are out and you have to adapt and then things look better all of a sudden. And so uh, in that sense, maybe a little bit of a blessing in disguise that they didn't have some of their normal guys last week and they had to adjust a little bit. And it seemed like some of those adjustments worked. I mean, you know, I've been pro the usage of Xavier Johnson all year long in terms of a guy who, you know, with his versatile skill set in terms of being both a receiver and a running back and even play some tight end. I just think he's a guy that should have a role within the offense because he can do a lot of different things. And it's just every every time he's out there, he makes plays like it just he just does like every time they give him chances to make plays, he makes plays. And so I continue to believe that he should have some role within this offense going forward. Devin Brown one. I I'm curious to see if that's something we continue to see on a regular basis or if that ends up just kind of being a one off thing. Like I think back to in 2018 where I remember there was one game where they, they had a tape Martell package in there. And, and they use that in the red zone, and then we never really saw it again. So I don't know what to expect on that one. If if the Devin Brown package is going to be something we continue to see going forward, or if that's just more of a one-off. But I do like the idea behind it. I I I also think that if he's going to do that consistently, he's going to have to prove that he can make plays as a passer in the red zone too, because. Otherwise, it's just going to become too predictable that you're throwing him in there to run the ball. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure on that, to be honest, like how much we're going to see them use it going forward. But I'm definitely curious. I think it's a good thing at the very least to get it on film, because now that's something else that defenses have to prepare for. We also finally saw a quarterback sneak on Saturday or boo brotherly shove or the tush push, whatever you want to call it, uh, with uh, Caden Curry pushing Kyle McCord across the line on third and one. And I know a lot of people have been wanting to see that one in the playbook. So I think it was good to see that too. I mean, even just another play, we saw Kyle keep it on his own read and run for a nine yard gain. So just to see those quarterback running elements within the offense, whether it's with Kyle or with Devin, that's certainly a good element because i think you you just look over the years in recent years of ohio state whether it's jt barrett and justin fields versus dwayne haskins and cj stroud when ohio state has had a running threat at quarterback its overall running game has typically fared much better than when it has a strictly passing quarterback and so if you can get at least some 
element of a running game out of your quarterbacks, that's going to pay dividends for the entire rushing offense. Absolutely, because it equates numbers, and and they talked about that today. The defense has to, even just the fact that the defense has to respect the threat that your quarterback can run the ball, he can keep it on his own read like Kyle did, or he can scramble on a passing play. It freezes linebackers, it freezes safeties, and that allows your running backs to have that extra step to hit a hole, to find some space on the ground. Um, and, you know, it's it, it's all you need is that one step. And that was a big difference when Justin Fields was playing for this team a few years ago. And you could see linebackers just stand still at the mesh point when it's his own read because they don't know. They if Justin's going to keep the ball, you had to fear that. Now, Kyle McCord isn't going to be Justin Fields, but seeing that zone read keeper is just one more thing to put in the back of Penn State's mind. I, I think that was a very good thing to put on film, um, even more so than the Devin Brown sub package, because now they know it's something they have to look out for. And if you run it one more time early in that game, and it has, if it gains seven plus yards with uh, McCord keeping, now it's something that they really are going to be looking for. The linebackers are really going to be thinking about. And you need to get these Penn State linebackers thinking about more things because it's a ferocious bunch they have on in that area of their defense. I think also uh, with the Devin Brown sub package too, I, I think it might be more of a regular thing. And I, I do, I agree with what you say. He's going to have to throw the ball out of it because otherwise, why wouldn't you just try to running back out there and run the Wildcat? You know, it's, it's not... Uh, like Devin is that much of a rushing threat as opposed to, you know, your actual running backs. But I, I, I think they're going to start showing that. And even in the late stretches of the Purdue game, when he came in just regular quarterback play for Kyle had that really nice pass to Ennis. I think he's kind of got to go through some of those lumps. We saw Kyle go through early in the year when it comes to passing. Um, and it was good to get some of those lumps out now because he had a pass that was nearly intercepted to G. Scott that they threw out of that red zone package right before the fumble. People forget that you have to get that him through so he can be that red zone passing threat later. And once you have him throwing a red zone touchdown on film, it's kind of enough to really open up that sub package. Yeah, that's a good point about giving him a chance to work through some of those things because obviously we've seen it with Kyle where in game five and six, he's looked a lot better than he looked in game one and two. And so just getting Devin those reps, especially in a game that Ohio State won comfortably, uh, is certainly only going to be a good thing for Devin. You mentioned that long touchdown pass to Brandon Innes. We certainly saw the potential of Brandon Innes on that play. We also saw the potential of fellow freshman receiver Carnell Tate on Saturday as he had a 55-yard catch, I think three catches for uh, 70-something yards overall. And, you know, I, I was looking at the stats, and I, I just thought this was an interesting number. But Carnell Tate currently has the same number of receiving yards as Julian Fleming, 162, even though Fleming has played more than three times as many snaps as Carnell Tate, that being 272 snaps for Fleming compared to 88 snaps for Tate. So I don't mean that as a dig at Fleming, but I do mean it as a... Should Ohio State be getting Carnell Tate and perhaps even Brandon Innes more involved in this offense on a regular basis? Because it's 
it's clear that both of those guys have a ton of talent. I think they are the future. When you think about next year, when Marvin and Mecca are going to be playing in the NFL, I expect both Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes to be starting wide receivers for Ohio State. But seeing what you saw from them on Saturday and knowing that, you know, Mecca Buka is coming off an injury here, should they start getting those guys more involved now? For me, Tate, yes, Innes, no. I think Tate's further along in his development. Came in the spring. Brandon came in the summer. Uh, had played for a more prolific passing offense in high school uh, than Ennis perhaps did. And I think that Carnell, just his all-around receiver skill is in a better spot when you talk about ball skills, route running, uh, maybe some of those other things like blocking. Uh, he's further along in his development than Brandon is. So I think in terms of you're talking about plays that matter, Carnell is in a spot where he can be on the field right now and then show that consistency. Whereas Brandon, and you even look at something, I, I, I usually put little stock in the black stripes, right? But it took him a while to lose his too. Brandon... I, I just think he's got that raw talent. It's clear why he's a five-star, super bursty, awesome in space, made a nice play on the ball. I'm not going to deny that when Devin threw it to him. But at the same time, all those athletic traits need to be refined into a more complete receiver before I think he's ready to make an impact. I think that's going to be next year. I don't think it's going to take long, but the kid's a true freshman. And especially when a Mecca comes back and you have more depth in the slot, um, I don't see as much of a role for him as Carnell, who I do think has shown he can. And Julian's played well to this point in the year. I don't think Julian's having a big breakout year or anything, but he's shown he's enough that I think he's worth subbing in for Julian on in plays that matter and uh that that ball too i just want to say that ball on that skinny post uh carnell caught was really nice from McCord, and it was a fantastic route to uh find the space in the defense again just a so super skinny post just a little bit a little bit to the top of that I, I agree with all that i think it's significantly more likely that we will see carnell carve out a bigger role than it is for brandon but still you know, promising for the future to see what we saw uh, from from Ennis in that game. And, you know, certainly will be intriguing to see if we see him, even if it is just later game situations, if we see him get more opportunities, if he can build on that. Because I mean, that was the first catch of his career. So you're right. We can't we can only put too much stock into just one play, but it's certainly enough to get, keep people excited about his five star future. Another personnel question I have coming out of a Purdue game is, are we potentially on the verge of seeing Cody Simon taking Steel Chambers' as starting job? Because uh, we've seen Cody Simon gradually see more and more playing time. This past week, they basically rotated the entire game, alternating series, and Simon pretty clearly outplayed Chambers. He had a team-high eight tackles with one tackle for loss. Uh, I, I think Steele has had a rough few weeks. Uh, I think, you know, especially with, you know, some of the, the coverage stuff where I think, you know, we've seen him make some good plays, but we've also seen him make some bad plays. And, you know, Jim Knowles was asked about it on Tuesday. He did say that, you know, he thinks Cody's stronger in the run game and, and Steele's stronger in the pass game, which, you know, 
certainly opens the door for, you know, maybe using some of those guys a little bit more situational even you have so far. But I, I do think if you're just going off what we've seen in the past few weeks, you, then you think about a huge game coming up this Saturday. I think there would be a definite case for starting Cody Simon over Steel Chambers, though I do expect both to play. Yeah, Simon's been on the rise, and he's made the most with his opportunities. Uh, you talk about eight tackles with one for loss in that Purdue game. Um, ended up playing 13 more snaps than Steel Chambers. Uh, shout out to you, Dan, for that one, obviously, with your weekly snap counts, uh, doing all that leg work <laughs> Sundays after we get back from the road or after a home game. But uh, the, the thing with that, I, I do think Steele, at this point, they want him to sort of reclaim that starting job. I just, I, I just feel that a little bit, maybe. They want to keep Cody involved. It would just... It, that's been the tandem the rest of the year. And I think that uh, Steele, he has a little more athletic upside for me than, than Cody does against the pass, um, as Noel said. And then sideline to sideline against the run. That was his strength last year, I thought, in the defense, was really getting out and defending runs that went beyond the tackles uh, and he serving as kind of a sweeper compliment to Tommy, who was more stout and strong inside. Cody has some of that. I think he's definitely better between the tackles than steel defending the run. And that might be important this week because Penn state looks to run it downhill a lot. So it might make sense to start Cody in this game, but I think overall they kind of, I still get the sense of maybe a quiet confidence. Steele can resurge and reclaim what he was, but also Cody's going to stay involved, especially as you continue to play this Big Ten schedule and you play these physical run teams. They might see more, use more four three, or just you know have Cody in there for against the run heavy teams and have Sonny on the field, and he's he's got those linebacker capabilities that have been discussed in the past. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's definitely possible. I mean, we, we haven't really seen much of that for free this year because of Sony, Sonny's ability to play linebacker. Now, granted, they might need Sonny to play more nickel this week because if Denzel Burke can't play, they're probably going to have Jordan Hancock playing outside a lot more this week. So that could be an element that factors into that this week. I mean, either way this week, Sonny's going to play a lot, probably more than he's played the last few games because Penn State does a lot of two tight end stuff. And so I think either way, Sonny's going to play a big role this week against Penn State and they're going to need Sonny to be at his best this week against Penn State. But I think there's certainly roles for both Cody and Steele in there as well, regardless of how you play it in terms of who starts at that will linebacker position. Certainly in the defensive front, I, I think you could say that this past week's game was the best game we've seen from a defensive end tandem of JT Tuomolowau and Jack Sawyer as they combined for three sacks, one and a half sacks each. I think JT in particular, we've really seen him get into a groove now, back-to-back -back games of one and a half sacks coming off of those big plays he made at the end of a Notre Dame game. I think the last few games we've really started to see, you know, we, we talked about it the first month of a season wanting to see JT make that step and really become that elite player. And I think we've started to see that these last few weeks. So certainly you go into this week after what JT did last year against Penn State, there's going to be a spotlight on him of can he replicate that performance. Uh, but, you know, I think he's 
he's getting hot at the right time and you're starting to see him uh, play up to that level that we expected from him from the beginning of the year. And I think Jack certainly as well had the kind of performance on Saturday that we've been waiting all year to see from him. T, you know, it's been a run of momentum that's been gathering since the last few plays of that Notre Dame game, you know, had those two the tackle for loss and then the pass breakup to get the ball back to Ohio State's offense for its game-winning drive. Follows it up with the next week. He gets his first sack of the season against Maryland and uh, really has shown that consistent pressure that since before the season, we said we were looking for looking for from him uh, in this year after that breakout performance last year against Penn State. Um, and he started to do it every week now and really been a consistent threat, particularly in the run game. Uh, Jack Sawyer, too, coming on, getting his first sack and a half, as you mentioned, against Purdue. And I thought generating on a consistent basis the most pressure he has since at least that Western Kentucky game in week three, which I know he didn't have any sacks in that one, but was really in the quarterback's lap the entire time. On I think that's generally too an underappreciated quality about these two defensive ends is that they've been really good run defenders, uh, set the edge really, 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 really well. Uh, JT especially, they are asked in the scheme this year to do a little more in terms of playing discipline, not always pinning their ears back to contain the run and stop maybe some of the outside stuff uh, from offenses. But their strength at the point of attack and ability to set the edge has been key uh, in addition to now a surging pass rush, which is what you needed to see in this game because uh, it's going to be important to get after Drew Aller uh, on Saturday. And uh, yeah, I, I think there were a lot of good signs from this defensive end tandem. Got to give some love to Tyleek Williams too, as he continued to be a stud against Purdue, had two tackles for loss, two pass deflections. He was named by ESPN as a midseason All-American on Tuesday, and that's certainly well-deserved with the kind of play we've seen from Tyleek Williams so far this year. Moving back to the secondary, this is certainly going to be a big area of focus this week with Denzel Burke's status being in question, but I think a couple positives there at corner when you look at the possibility of maybe not having Denzel Burke this week. I thought Davis and Igbenosin had his best game we've seen so far against Purdue. Uh, and I know he did give up a one touchdown, but all in all, I thought he was very competitive in coverage. You know, we saw him playing both sides of a field because of Denzel Burke leaving the game early playing. You know, he's usually playing field corner, but he was playing some boundary corner too. And I think uh, he, he held up well in, in both of those roles. And then, Jermaine Matthews as well. We saw him initially come in when Denzel Burke left the game. And, you know, I when I watch Jermaine, he kind of reminds me of Denzel two years ago to where he's been able to come in as a freshman and he he's held his own out there. Uh, Jim Knowles used the word moxie to describe Jermaine Matthews on Tuesday, and I think that's accurate. This is a guy who plays up a lot of energy. You see that on special teams. He had two tackles inside the 20-yard line on kickoff coverage on Saturday. And, you know, I when I look ahead to Saturday, I mean, 
first things first, Denzel Burke has been fantastic this year. I think he has been Ohio State's second best player this year behind only Marvis and Harrison Jr. I think that he has been one of the best cornerbacks in all of college football this season. And so if he cannot play for any stretch of time, it's a huge loss because he basically all year has shut down his side of the field. And I think while these other cornerbacks are good, I don't think any of them can quite do that. And so if they are without Denzel Burke, it's a significant loss, period. But I also think we've seen enough from Davis and Igmanosin, we've seen enough from Jordan Hancock, and we've seen enough from Jermaine Matthews to where I don't feel like they're going to be screwed if Denzel Burke can't play. I think it will have an impact on their pass defense for sure if Denzel Burke can't play. But I think all three of those guys are capable enough right now to where I don't feel like the secondary is suddenly going to get exposed. I, I, I have, you know, I, I wouldn't say like super high confidence, but I have a, a decent level of confidence in those three cornerbacks' ability to get the job done. Right. Not just the corners, too, but the safeties. Uh, I think when we've talked, we've talked all year about Josh Proctor's improvements and how big his emergence has been for the defense. I expect him to be full energy pumping up the crowd once again in this Penn State game. And then Lathan Ransom has returned to form after a disappointing end to last year when he had a very successful year otherwise uh, in 2022. Jermaine, Paul, he's got the length and especially the speed. I mean, he is a fantastically fast athlete to be an elite corner in the future. And he's already showing that he's got, again, with that moxie and that mentality, he's kind of ready now. I think he's a little bit raw. And you saw him uh, get beat off the line on a ball and recover to pretty much force an incompletion on, on one of his targets in that game uh, against Purdue after he entered. He It's just that combination of athleticism and his mentality and physicality are going to allow him to step up in this spot, I think, and um, hold his own when the pieces around him in the secondary are going to be really good, uh, even without the presence of Denzel Burke with Davis and Igbenosan with Jordan Hancock. There's a lot to like, obviously, about Ohio State's defense going into this game against Penn State. But speaking of Penn State, I think for them, the strength is their defense. And when you look at the numbers, you know, number one in yards allowed per game, number two in points, number one in passing yards, number three in rushing yards. Um, maybe the competition hasn't been that strong, but still an elite unit that quarterback Kyle McCord, this offensive line that's had its up and ups and downs it's the biggest test of the year easily yeah without a doubt i mean there's a lot of future nfl players on this penn state defense uh you look at chop robinson and adisa isaac they're a really good tandem of pass rushers uh the linebacker group is arguably the best in the country abdul carter curtis jacobs kobe king all those guys are playmakers for them and then they have some really good defensive backs as well led by kaylin king who's considered to be one of the top corners in the country and so uh yeah this is definitely i think the, the best defense that ohio state will have faced this year and you know as we've talked about it's been an uneven start to the year for the ohio state offense and so this you know we, we saw some strides certainly this past week but now this is gonna be a you know the ultimate test really you know this in the michigan game of course at the end of the regular season of, of how good this year's ohio state offense 
actually is. And and it's going to be tough in both areas because, like you said, they're number one in passing yards allowed, number three in rushing yards allowed. So certainly for that run defense, uh, it, it's going to be, you know, the, the rushing offense, I mean, for Ohio State, it, it, this is going to be a much bigger test for than Purdue. So can they build off of the momentum they gained this past week? Can the things that worked against Purdue translate to playing against a much better defense? We'll see on that. You know, you know, passing wise, I mean, I think you're always going to have confidence in Marvin Harrison Jr.'s ability to make plays no matter who he's going up against. Uh, I think certainly, uh, you know, what they're getting out of Kate Stover from that tight end position right now is huge going into this game. I think, you know, the, the big questions that I have for the passing offense in this game are, you know, number one, I mean, this is again, I think we, we saw Kyle McCord answer the challenge against Notre Dame, but I think this is going to be an even bigger test. Though it is worth noting that same Notre Dame defense just forced projected number one overall NFL draft pick Caleb Williams into throwing three interceptions in the worst game of his college career. So that's a really good Notre Dame defense. Let's let's give that Notre Dame defense its credit. And so uh, I think this Penn State defense is even better, but that Notre Dame defense was good too. And Kyle McCord made the plays that they needed him to make to win that game. But still, yet another test for Kyle McCord. I think it's certainly the biggest test of the year so far for the, the pass protection of the offensive line and those offensive tackles. They really need Josh Simmons and Josh Pryor to step up their game as we're going up against that defensive end tandem of Robinson and Isaac. And then obviously, you know, there's the big factor of health and, you know, particularly if we're talking about the passing game of Mecca Buka, uh, is he going to be healthy? And if not, you know, can they overcome that? Because, you know, he's a guy we talk about and, you know, when he's healthy, he might be the second best receiver in the country. And so he, he makes a big impact on Ohio state's ability uh, to be a really explosive offense. And like the good news is they have a lot of talented receivers. So if a Mecca can't play, I don't view it as a fatal blow, but it certainly is something that will hurt going against a defense. this good. Absolutely. Uh, and one last option to turn to in those situations you know, I think you saw injuries kind of pile up a little bit on them in that Georgia game last year toward the end, guys not, not having the playmakers they needed down the stretch after Marv left. Well, I guess it was really just Marv that was injured, but uh, that, that depth of the receiving group is going to be tested, as you said, in this one, if Emeka is out, because when you face these kinds of secondaries that have playmakers all over the place, you're going to have to look to your third, your fourth option on plays to get the yardage you need. Uh, as far as Kyle goes, I, I have confidence quietly that he is going to take care of the football in this game. Really hasn't been turnover prone much at all this year, at least not throwing the ball. He had the interception against Indiana, but that was a desperation toss on fourth down. And uh, really, his, his, he's just done a great job taking care of the football outside that and uh, has only grown as this year has gone on. So I don't I think one thing you like about this is that he's not going to turn the ball over if it's not there against this Penn State team. Um, and it might turn into a defensive battle in this one, too, uh, just the way that these offenses are the, the, these offenses match up with these defenses and drew Aller Penn state's quarterback kid from Ohio in his first season as a starter. He's been really efficient this year. 
uh, 65% completions, 1,200 yards plus uh, 12 touchdowns, no picks, but hasn't had the explosiveness with his arm. And even though he has a strong arm, he had they just haven't aired the ball out much on offense. Only 12 passing plays of 20 or more yards and one that went 40 or more. Um, they still have a top five scoring offense with that, but not a not a guy that's going to be pushing the ball downfield a whole lot, or at least it's not called that way in this offense. Uh, so, I mean, from from those ends, I think this could turn into a more methodical defensive game. Um, but you know, I, I think there's a lot to discuss with Drew Aller beyond that. Just those uh, efficiency numbers too. So, so Dan, give us your thoughts. Yeah, I mean. A lot. You talk about it being a big test for Kyle McCord. Well, the same is certainly true for Drew Aller. I mean, this is by far the best team that he's played so far. It's by far the best team he's played on the road. And if you look at his numbers so far, he's been much better at home. 73% for 857 yards and 11 touchdowns. And that included a game against Iowa, which has the number one defense in the country. Than he has been on the road where he's been just 51.5% for 397 yards and one touchdown. So this is a huge test for Drew Hour to come back to his home state to, to play in Ohio Stadium in the shoe in, in a huge game and to have to handle that. Uh, we have to see how how he will handle that. I think Drew Hour is very talented. And I think in terms of when you talk about those explosive plays, I, I think he has the arm to make all those rows. I think. Quite honestly, I think if Drew Aller was playing for his home state school, he'd probably have made a lot more explosive plays of his arm this year. I think the reality is he does not have a Marvin Harrison Jr. And I think if you're looking at a weakness for for Penn State, I look at their receiving core. I, it's not elite. I'm not going to say it's bad, but they don't have anyone in that receiving core who's a true game-changing type of weapon, even compared to guys like a Jahan Dotson or a Parker Washington that we've seen in the past. And so, you know, I know we were having a discussion as as a staff the other day, kind of comparing both teams position by position with one another. And to me, I think each team has one clear edge in that. I think Ohio State's wide receivers are clearly better than Penn State's wide receivers. Even if a Mecca can't play, I think Ohio State has a clear advantage at wide receiver. Obviously, a lot of that has to do with Marvin Harrison Jr. I think Penn State has a clear advantage in terms of offensive lines. They've got the probably the best left tackle in the country in Olu Fashanu. Uh, I, I think Penn State's offensive line is certainly better than Ohio State's offensive line right now. Everywhere else, it's pretty close. Like quarterback, you could go either way on that because they're both first-year guys. They, they've both... Like you said, they've both been very efficient. I don't know that Ivor has been a star yet, but they've both done enough for their teams to consistently win. They've both taken good care of a football. I think they're both capable of doing more than we've already seen from them. And so this is going to be, you know, specifically for those two guys, a, a great test of just where both of them are as first-year starting quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, those advantages are going to play out in different ways, too, that each of them have at their disposal, right? Um, when you talk about Ohio State's receivers, there's going to be have to be, I think, some plays in this game made where they're in tight coverage. It's a contested catch. And Penn State having that advantage up front, when you talk about the 
most worrisome matchup in this game for Ohio State is the O-line versus the D-line. Ohio State's O-line versus Penn State's D-line. Uh, football's won and lost in the trenches often, and you've got a fantastic defensive line that Penn State p- presents to you um, against this offensive line that's had its questions. And now I think they're probably off their best game of the season against Purdue uh, when you talk about how they ran the ball in the first half, when you talk about how McCord came under pressure a little bit, but there was mostly they were mostly fine in pass protection. And I think the running game has been their bigger area of concern this year. Again, for the most part, there's definitely been plays. Um, they're the exception to that. But the the offensive line holding its own against Penn State's pass rush is going to be one of the things that really plays the biggest factor in this outcome on Saturday, I think, because it's the place where I think Penn State has the most exploitable advantage to this point in the season over Ohio State. So entering this game, though, Dan, overall... And I, you know, I've given mine now. What is your biggest area of concern for Ohio State, and where do you think they can um, find an advantage uh, as far as you know having those? We talked about comparing the units, but wh- where where will they win this game? Yeah, I mean, mine are pretty much the same as yours, to be honest. I mean, I think the biggest the biggest advantage Ohio State has is that I think it has more playmakers on offense specifically in the receiving is i think again running backs another position where it's kind of a push where you know you you know and, and some of it depends on health obviously you know but even if ohio state's healthy you know travian henderson nick singleton you know chip train and mine williams down hayden versus katron allen i think they're both really good a lot of it event is a lot of it again is going to depend on how the offensive lines perform uh but i think ohio state does have more weapons who can make big plays in the passing game than Penn State does. And I think that's certainly something that gives Ohio State an edge. Again, on the on the other side, I think the big question mark is the offensive line. And I'll kind of focus it out to the line of scrimmage in general. Because I mean we've seen it for Ohio State. I mean not to sound like Lou Holtz, but we've seen it in Ohio State when they have lost games in recent years, a lot of times it has been because they weren't able to control the line of scrimmage. And typically when they have been able to control the line of scrimmage in big games, they have been victorious. So uh, I I think, you know, this is certainly one of those games that who plays better on the line of scrimmage is most likely going to correlate with who wins this game. And I think that's where the big question mark lies for Ohio State, certainly on the offensive line, but I look at it on the other side as well. You know, Ohio State's defensive line has been great, but this is right up there with Notre Dame for the best defensive line. I mean, best offensive line, they face. You know, we talked about defensive ends before, but it was only a few weeks ago we were talking about this group's not getting sacks. So can they get sacks this week? I mean, we saw JT do it against Penn State last year, so we know they're capable, but can they do it on a consistent basis? Can they consistently get pressure on Drew Aller? Can they force him to make those mistakes with the football that, he hasn't made yet this year. And then obviously, conversely, can can Ohio State give Kyle McCord protection to prevent them from forcing Kyle to make mistakes that we haven't seen him make with the ball this year? And so I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of focus on the quarterbacks, their ability to air up a ball. There's going to be a lot of focus on uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and his ability to change this game as a playmaker. But I do think a lot of this game is going to boil down to 
who wins the line of scrimmage. It almost always does, Dan, and that's the, that's football there. But I think especially pertinent in this game, as we both touched on. Uh, and you you mentioned those injuries, kind of reflecting on those for a minute. Who do you think Ohio State ha- needs to have healthy the most on Saturday? Is it Denzel Burke, Mecca, Ibuka, or Travion Henderson? You know, um, which of those three, in your eyes, does Ohio State need the most? It's such a good question because you really could go with any of the three. I mean, you 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 really could uh, because you know I I mean my gut answer is Denzel Burke, but just because of how good he has been this year, you know, shutting down his side of a field at corner and the fact that I think he has been their best defensive player, and I think you know to assume that Ohio State's defense can continue to be as dominant as it's been without Denzel Burke is a big assumption. And so Denzel is my answer, but I do think that I'm not as worried about it in this game as I would be in some games because I don't think Penn state has a true elite number one wide receiver. If if they had a singular receiver who I felt like was a true game changer, I'd be more worried about them not having or potentially not having Denzel this game than I am against this team. But I still, I still think I got to go with Denzel because you, you look at the receivers and the running base, we know the depth they have. Now, you know, the Travion answer, that also kind of hinges on, are they going to have Chip and Mayan? Because you don't want to go into this game with Dallin Hayden and Evan Pryor being your only healthy scholarship running backs. I mean, I have confidence that Dallin will deliver if he's called upon, but you don't want him to be your only option. And so I think it's certainly important that you have at least one or two of those running backs available, but I I think they can get away with also not having one or two of them. I think they can probably get away with that and, and still win this game. You know, I mean, Emeka's a big impact player, but I also think that with Xavier Johnson, with Carnell Tate, you know, maybe a Brandon Ennis. I think there's enough options there that again, losing a Mecca hurts them. I mean, if a, we, we if we go to like the confidence of this game, if Ohio State was fully healthy, I would probably say I'm 60% confident Ohio State will win this game. With the current injury question marks they have, I'm a lot closer to 50% because any one of those guys not playing has the potential to impact the outcome of this game. I agree with your selections um, or and with all your reasonings in there. I think Denzel, just by the nature of being, I think, in my opinion, the best player of the bunch, though it's really close between him and Emeka, that sets him apart, but also just how important for a defense having that pure number one lockdown corner is even against a team that might not have as many, a, as big a number one receiving threat. It kind of resonates through a defense when you no longer have that guy who's been your go-to lockdown, one of the best corners in the country, just man to man beat somebody. But I want to make more of a case for Travion too, because I think 
he, it gives me pause. I almost did pick Travion. The reason being, I think it's going to be important in this game to have a running back that can create something from nothing. And when you talk about Travion's explosiveness and look at some of the runs he's busted this season where the initial hole isn't there and he has the speed to not only bounce it outside but then turn a corner and turn it into a big gain is something that can swing a game like this and he did it against Notre Dame a play that was kind of overshadowed in some ways by the fact that Marvin Harrison got hurt on it. And, you know, obviously there was a lot that happened after that point in that game, but he had that 61 yard touchdown run was a play. He bounced outside and then took to the house. And just when you have this disadvantage offensive line to defensive lines, Ohio state might in this game, having that guy who can just create a big play, even when the offensive line fails is pretty important. And I also think he's just the best back on this team right now. I said it earlier, even with how much I like Dallin, even with, you know, chips kind of emergence early in the season, what Mayan's done in the past. I think Travion's your best running back and you want your best guy running the football uh, in this game. So I, I think there's an argument to be made for Travion too, as far as which injury w- could hurt them the most. Uh, but, just because of how he a lockdown number one corner is for a defense, I think you have to go with Denzel there. So I'll ask you what I was just discussing before. As we, we, we sit here on Wednesday, we, gen, we we genuinely don't know if if any of all of those guys could be available. All of them could be unavailable. I, I can't sit here and say, I mean, we could guess, but for re- realistically, we just don't know whether or not each of those guys are going to play. So with that uncertainty, Andy, what's your level of confidence going into this game? And then what's your score prediction if you have one? Hmm. Level of confidence in an Ohio State win, I would say 55% with those guys, it'd be 60. So similar answer to yours. I still like Ohio State in this game only marginally because again, Penn state's that that defensive line scares me when you talk about Ohio state's offensive line, that's the thing. But I think Ohio state's weapons are better. Obviously I think that the defense is when you take the playmakers into consideration, I think Ohio state, both defenses are elite, but Ohio state has guys that can go out and win the game against an elite defender more so than Penn State has shown to this point. So I I think even without those three guys, I like the Buckeyes. With them, I'd put their, you know, I'd have another 5% confidence that they win, um, which is a testament to the players around them that only moves the needle 5%. You're talking about the team's number two receiver, number one corner, and number one running back, in addition to some others. But that would be my answer to that question. My score prediction for Saturday is 24-20 Ohio State. I expect a methodical defensive game. Ohio State gets it done in the red zone one extra time. Gets three touchdowns and a field goal to Penn State's two touchdowns and two field goals. That's kind of how I see it playing out because it, <laughs> the seven times teams have gotten into the red zone or yeah, the, Every time a team has gotten into the red zone against this Penn State defense, they've scored, and all but one time they've scored touchdowns. 
not that they've gotten there that much, but also I, I think situationally in the red zone is an area where that could play a factor into this game. Yeah, I, I see it very similar as you. I mean, I see it honestly as pretty much a coin flip game, which is how I felt going into the Notre Dame game. And we saw how that played out. It That's exactly how it played out. I mean, it came down to one play at the end of a game. That game easily could have gone in either direction. And so I expect more of the same on Saturday. I expect a four-quarter battle. I think this comes down to the last couple minutes of the game. I think it's going to come down to who executes better on those those last few series honestly if if this game was being played in happy valley i would probably be predicting a penn state win right now but you know penn state has not had a great track record in games on the road under james franklin i do think you know home field advantage is going to matter especially when you're going up against a quarter a young quarterback like a drew aller who has not yet played in a major road test like this so those things give me enough confidence in, a, in an Ohio State win that I, that I have Ohio State winning a close one. I'm going Ohio State 27, Penn State 24. So uh, slightly more scoring than you, but 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 pretty similar in terms of what I see. I, I don't, you know, I certainly do not expect a shootout in this game. If it's lower scoring than that, you know, kind of like the Notre Dame game was, it, it wouldn't shock me. I do think the defense is the strength of both of these teams right now. But you know, I I, I think that. You know, we you know we could see you know a little bit more scoring than what we saw in South Bend. No, I'd uh, I'd agree with that assessment. That uh, and you know I I would I always like seeing a little more scoring. You know, offense is fun and all, but this is a game with two elite defenses. Although it will be a raucous environment in the shoe on Saturday, I always love the Penn State games at home. There, other than Michigan, I think it's the loudest the shoe gets. So, uh, very much looking forward to covering it, even if it's a, a noon kick. So maybe not that nighttime atmosphere. Yeah, we know some people are disappointed about that not being not being a night game, but you know, such as life with the, the Fox contract, those big noon kickoff games, and like you, I, I I still fully expect a great environment in camps on Saturday. College game day is going to be there. Big noon kickoff is going to be there. I know we're both going to be at the stadium bright and early because certainly I think we <laughs> expect plenty of traffic and and a full stadium by noon as. Uh, so much anticipation for, as we said at the top of a show, a game that is uh, very much going to determine uh, Ohio State's Big Ten championship hopes this year, along with that Michigan game at the end of the season, of course. Uh, this game is extremely important to Ohio State's goals, but uh, they're going to need to be at their best in order to win this one. And so we're certainly looking forward to seeing how it all plays out, and we'll be back next week to talk more about it.